Hey friends, welcome back to the No Wrong Turns podcast with Audrey the Hickman Hunter. I am Audrey and I'm your host. I am so happy and excited that you are here. If you like what you're listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Every other Tuesday, we have an awesome guest to come on and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. Subscribe to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player app so that you guys will never have to miss an episode. Hey friends, happy Tuesday. How are you all doing? If you are listening to this pod on the day that it comes out, it is election day. There are so many thoughts and emotions that go into this day and this outcome. A few weeks ago, my husband and I went out to cast our votes as part of the early voting. I hope that you too are able to participate in this part of our democracy and go out and vote. I am praying for this process and the outcome of the election. And um, I know from the analytics, there are some listening overseas. And I just thank you for giving this pot a listen, even though this election is not something you're voting in like we are today or in the past few weeks. When the last episode came out, I told you listeners about my book club that I began and hosted and good news, our first meeting went well. If you follow on Insta, you may have seen some highlights that I posted about from the book, I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. If you haven't had a chance, go give our Insta or Facebook a follow at No Wrong Turns Pod. Our next book that we are reading is a book called How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I'll post this on our social medias and in the show notes. If you're interested in joining our book club where we will be discussing this election, our next meeting is Tuesday, November 17th at 7.30 p.m. Chicago time. And find me on the social medias and I can give you more info on the book club meeting. Listeners, welcome to our 26th episode. Today on the podcast, we have my dear friend, Karen Kumar. Karen and I connected through a little web of connections. I had an old college friend whose sister knew Karen's sister, and they both happened to know that we were both moving to the same neighborhood, and they helped connect us when we moved to the same neighborhood in Chicago several years ago. Karen shares a bit about how we, when we first met, we found our favorite little diner called Clark's, no longer there in Hyde Park. And uh, that same day, I had found a mouse scurrying around my studio apartment. And so literally, I had to go and stay over at Karen's house that night because I could not sleep in my studio apartment knowing that that thing was running around. So she was a major lifesaver. In this episode, Karen shares her story with us about how she grew up all around the Midwest, moving a lot and learning the art of being able to say goodbye and hello to meet new friends. She shares about some crazy foods that she has tried, about her passion for sports, and how she thought and dreamed of going to the Olympics when she was a young gymnast and how that dream came crashing down. Karen shares about her love for talking and communicating and connecting with others. When Karen was in college, she was a part of Toastmasters and was able to use her communication skills and passion to become a leader. Karen shares what led her to take 26 credit hours for American Sign Language and how she was just a mere two classes away from getting her ASL certification. 
Her passion for sports led her to her college major of physical education, and that funneled her to her student teaching and becoming a teacher in China. In China, Karen shared about how all of her passions for talking to people, sports, were, at, were able to be used as avenues that allowed her to share her big main passion of telling people about Jesus. Karen made the tough decision to come back to the States after teaching in China for several years, where she then worked at the Salvation Army and then taught at a prestigious school in Chicago. And during this time, she waited and listened to God as he called her to full-time ministry as a pastor in the Salvation Army. You're for sure going to want to lean in and not miss hearing Karen's story as she highlights her passions of telling people about Jesus, sports, and healthy lifestyle, talking, and communication. No matter if this is your story and you can relate to her or not, I believe that there's something in this episode for you. All right, here's my conversation with Karen Kumar. Welcome to the No Wrong Turns podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Karen Kumar. Hey, Karen. Hey. (laughs) Excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming on today. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited. My first podcast. Shout out to Audrey for asking. Ooh, I'm excited. So, Karen, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, where you are, kind of like a just little summary about yourself and maybe some fun facts or hobbies that you like? Sure. Well, I'm Karen Kumar. Before Kumar, I was Karen Miller. I am from all over, currently living in Michigan, which is actually where I was born. I was born in Grand Rapids, but now I live in the Detroit area. I have a beautiful son. His name is Raj Andy Kumar. He is probably the happiest baby I've ever seen, as all mothers would say, but legitimately, (laughs) he is so happy. I work for the Salvation Army. I'm a Corps officer with my husband at the Farmington Hills Corps, which is just about like 20 minutes away from where I live. And I grew up, like I said, all over the Midwestern United States. My parents are also Salvation Army officers. Did you have any place in particular growing up that you liked the best or that you had a lot of good memories there? Well... I lived in many places. I feel like I lived in eight states before going to college. Wow. That's pretty crazy. (laughs) It is. So, I mean, we've always claimed Chicago as home. We've kind of like, Chicago has been like a home base. Like, we moved here, then we moved to Chicago, then we moved there. But probably my biggest formative years, middle school, I was in St. Louis, so I have a lot of fun uh, moments there. Mm -hmm. High school, I was in... Omaha, Nebraska. And yeah, which when I first moved there, I was like, where is Omaha? What is Omaha? (laughs) Why am I going to this place? And I was really, that might have been like my most upsetting move, but I left it. And so I really, yeah, it was one of my most favorite places. So if you've never been to Omaha, which most of you probably haven't been, you should go because it's actually really fun. Downtown is really thriving, probably not at this moment during the quarantine, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's really fun. And I still have some of my greatest friends from there. Awesome. Yes. So do you have any fun facts or hobbies or interests that you really like? 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Fun fact. So I was waiting for this question. <laughs> I went skydiving five times. Oh, and wow. I loved it. And I'm kind of biting myself in my butt or wh- where do you bite yourself? I don't know. I was biting, <laughs> biting myself because if I would have gone one more time, I could have gone by myself. No tandem. Oh, and I wow. really want to do that. So that's one really fun, fun, fun fact. I just love it. Oh my gosh. And it's like so many great illustrations you can use for from it. And it's just great. Another fun fact. I'm not really sure if your listeners would want me to say it, but I've eaten a lot of like crazy things. Okay. What's some of the craziest things? (laughs) So I just want people to continue listening. Don't judge me on this, but I have ate dog before and I, whoa. Well, you did, Um, was it in China where you ate that? Yes. And it's actually really good. I mean, and just think of it as like dogs grown, like chickens are grown here. So, I mean, it's not like someone's pet. (laughs) That's pretty crazy. Yeah. So. So you said you, oh, did you have another fun fact? Oh, I mean, I have lots of fun facts, but I think that's good enough. Okay. I'm sure some will come up during your oh, story. Yeah. So you said you grew up in a lot of places growing up. So can you walk us through maybe like a little summary of your growing up years? Maybe like anything, any memories or things that really impacted your story? Yeah. Well, moving really impacted my story a lot. So, I mean, we moved all the time. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I think I was able to learn how to make friends really quickly. So everywhere we moved, I was never sad to go someplace new. I was just sad to leave my friends. Mm -hmm. But I learned how to say goodbye and hello, which actually helped me as an adult. Because what I've done as an adult has been saying hello and goodbye to lots of people and having to make connections fast. So I'd say that's one of the biggest things from growing up. Um, I also really thought I was going to be a gymnast for a long time. And at the (laughs) age of 10, I, it was the 1996. So I just told you basically how old I am, but um, it was the 96 Olympics when the United States won their first ever team gold medal with Carrie Strug. And it was there that I thought I was going to be a gymnast for the rest of my life. And then we moved and I no longer got to be training where I was training. And then I like broke my knee basically. And so no more gymnastics, but now looking back at it, you know, God knew it was best. And he also like knew that my life needed a little pivot. So (laughs) he pivoted me on. (laughs) Yeah. Pivoted your knee, pivoted you. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that was a big thing though. Like learning that you know, what I wanted maybe wasn't what God wanted me to do. Not that he broke my knee for that reason, but you know, I definitely can see like, okay, I need to completely trust God. So that was one of my biggest times that I grew in the Lord. That was not in 96. That was later when we moved, but that was my first year in St. Louis. So moving to St. Louis was kind of hard (laughs) because that happened right away. So yeah, that was probably one of the biggest things. And then God giving me a passion for sports. Even though I couldn't do gymnastics, I moved on to volleyball and basketball, mm-hmm. where a lot of my friends came from, and also my passion to live a healthy life and to 
teach other people how to be healthy, really start it. So, which I don't know if I was still training in gymnastics, if that would have been something that I would have done because I would have been so focused. So yeah, going for the gold. So <laughs> really thought I was going to be there with Sean Johnson, but you know what? I didn't make it. <laughs> That's so funny. I didn't know that about you. Oh yeah. Oh, I used to wear a leotard every day. <laughs> That's awesome. So you said in your high school years, you said that you were in Omaha. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes, I was. I had to think for a minute. (laughs) I think I I moved there when I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. Awesome. From St. Louis? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> so probably another big thing that usually people are surprised with or don't believe me or they're like oh yeah you fit this stereotype is um we were homeschooled I was homeschooled my whole life so from kindergarten through 12th grade I was homeschooled and <laughs> some people either believe me or they're like no or whatnot and I know my mom homeschooled us when we were, when it wasn't as popular as it is now. And so many people thought, oh, you're not going to be social. You're not going to have any of these things. <laughs> like they talked about my family and I a lot. And all four of us are extroverts, all of my siblings and I. So it's like, that wasn't true. But my parents were really intentional about getting us in gymnastics or band or taking a class at a school or playing on sports teams. So yeah, I got to do those things. Awesome. So yeah. when you when you were in Omaha, I mean, I know you said you let gymnastics kind of go. You weren't doing yeah. that. But you were on <laughs> volleyball and basketball. What other passions or hobbies or interests did you have in your high school years? So I had a passion for just talking. <laughs> and I feel like I can communicate things well. I was a part of a Toastmasters group, which is a speaking group competition kind of thing. And I always did really well, even if I didn't know much about the subject, I just was able to communicate it really well. So I've always had a passion for doing that. And because of that, I had desire to help with youth group, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I've always been teaching in some capacity. So I really had a passion for just helping the ministry that my parents were at in Omaha, like. I was with a youth pastor a lot. I would always just like help them out whenever I could, or if teachers didn't come lead those things. So I think I had a passion for just talking and my way to do that would be to tell people or to lead things. And so, and people seem to have thought that I did well. So I just kept doing that. Awesome. So when you were in your junior or senior year of high school, What were you thinking in terms of things that you're passionate about and interested in and then your future at the same time? Were you thinking, oh, I want to go to college or were you thinking you're going to start working or Mm -hmm. pick back up your dream to train for the Olympics? (laughs) Like, what were you thinking that you were going to do with the things that you were passionate about? Yeah. So I think that I knew I was going to go to college. It was kind of just always the next thing for us to do. And I wanted to go to college because I hadn't really been at school. I wanted to, you know, Mm -hmm. be around even more people. I mean, I was always around a lot of people, but I wanted to just go to college and have that experience. I was also, I forgot, I was going to community college my junior and senior year because I was 
like all done with my school. So I was already taking lots of these other classes and I was focusing a lot on sign language because I had, I had a group of people that came to our church who needed sign language and no one could talk to them. And as I said, I was passionate about talking. So (laughs) I wanted to learn. I actually took, I don't know, like 26 credit hours for sign language. So I was like two classes away from being certified in ASL. And I took all these classes like deaf culture, deaf education, all these things. So that was also a big passion of mine. So I really wanted to go to Michigan State Mm -hmm. because they had a really great sign language course or whatnot, whatever, major. But my parents, all of a sudden, they were like, oh, yeah, there's this rule that for our kids that you have to go to Christian school for two years and then you can transfer which really, they they probably knew me better because I don't feel like I would have found the right people at Michigan State to hang out with. Mm-hmm. And so I would have made some poor decisions. And so because of that, I had, hadn't applied almost anywhere at all. And my dad knew people and then was like, okay, Karen, if you're going to go to college, do you want to go to Asbury? Do you want to go wherever, you know? And I was like, well, fine, I guess I'll go to Asbury. So (laughs) he called people, of course, like I had to send in everything and I got accepted there. And that was also just a big God. Did you go visit before? Well, also Asbury is family tradition. So all of my brothers and sisters went there. My mom and dad met there. My aunt and uncle went there. My grandpa went there. Okay. So so you knew a lot about it. It wasn't like a cold, oh, (laughs) random school. No. Yeah. I knew all about it. And I had gone for band camp, not band camps, but things to get scholarships or whatnot. Mm -hmm. I'd gone and then I had visited my sister who was there. So I knew what dorm life was. And honestly, I thought that that's how dorm life was everywhere. So I probably would have been disappointed if I went somewhere Uh else. So I really, it was also just a huge God thing. So many things happened at college that really had a big impact on me. Wow. Okay, so you applied to Asbury, you got in, Yeah. and what was your major that you were going in with? I went in with physical education, K through 12. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, you know who else we had on the podcast before who was the same, I think think she did that in college, and she was also a gym teacher, was Chris Shea. Oh, yeah, she was a gym teacher. Yes. So, very <laughs> fun. Okay, so you went in with that as your major. Mm-hmm. And like many freshmen, you know, they look around at other stuff. Sometimes they're mm-hmm. like, ooh, maybe I should go dabble in this. Did that happen mm-hmm. to you at all? Like once you got on campus and started taking your classes, or were you still like, oh, this is the major for me? No, I was like, this is the major for me. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked it. I played volleyball my first year and then I didn't play anymore just because I compared community college to a four-year school and I did really well at community college. But then when I went to Asbury, it's a lot harder. And so not that all community schools are easy or whatnot, but it was just very different for me. So I had to focus more on my studies to stay where I needed to stay. So yeah, so I always loved that department I loved it because I got to do education things from K through 12 and I got to do sports things and I mean I played 
in some bands as well. So I was kind of all over the college. I don't doubt it for a second. <laughs> I worked in the grill. I did the laundry. Is the, for- is the grill just like an eating place or something? Yeah. So Asbury is in a very small city called Wilmore. And there's no, there's a subway and then a couple of cafes, but there's nowhere else to go out to eat unless you drive. Mm-hmm. And you can't even really have a car until you're like a sophomore or a junior. So, I mean, you can, it's just a lot more mess or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So the grill was the hangout spot. It was actually just on top of the cafeteria. <laughs> you can go there and like order food. And it was, I mean, it's just, I don't know, like safe by the bell, that cat, that like little cafe place they always went to. <laughs> That's fun. So you worked so, there at the grill. Mm-hmm. Very I, fun. I also did laundry for the sports teams because I could do my own laundry too, free. <laughs> and I mean, it was just great. I just loved it. So I did a lot of weird things in college to make money. So <laughs> anything else of note? Well, I guess that's not that weird. I mean, I took care of some kids after school. I would pick them up and take them to work. They are kids with autism or special needs. So that's not like a strange thing, but it was unique. And it was something that gave me more experience. I did something else that was weird, though. I can't remember. So yeah. as you as you were going through your college years, was there any kind of things that stuck out to you that kind of enhanced or shaped your story? Yeah. So in college, um, I participated in the Salvation Army Student Fellowship Band and Songsters. And the songster leader, Dr. B. Holtz, she's in the Southern Territory, so if you have Southern people that listen, they might know her. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> she came back from a trip from China and she said hey Karen like you just came to my mind these people in China who teach at this school want to do a basketball camp and they they can only have seven to eight people but they need someone to lead it and I thought you would like to do that and I was like yeah sure great why not (laughs) now mind you like history geography government has never been something that I know anything about so I'm like okay China cool where's that what is that I'm gonna lead a mission ship to China (laughs) and then I write this email to the person who asked and I was like so excited like God can use us in so many ways and we're gonna do great things doing this missions trip and we're gonna bring the gospel and I get this email back that's like please talk to somebody because you can't send emails like this And I was like, uh, what do you mean? And then I'm like, okay. And then, you know, that's like, oh, this is this communist country and all this. I'm like, what does that even mean? I have no idea. So I was really oblivious, apparently, to what was going on in China. Yeah. But God still made it so that we could go. And I led this little team of, I think, eight people. And that's still pretty big. Yeah, and uh, we went and we we had to write for some grants that we got from the school. So I got some, I don't know, like, not skills, but I got some experience writing That's those. Good, yes. <laughs> and then that is really where one of my biggest passions are is just for not only Chinese people, but that would definitely be one of my biggest passions is like Chinese people, but especially just missions overseas missions and 
going and telling other people who haven't heard about God, about mm-hmm. God and using different ways to do it. Cause in China, you can't go as a missionary, but you can go as a basketball coach and you can coach people and you can then use those experiences to tell them about God. Awesome. So what year, what year were you when you went? Yeah, I was. <laughs> what year of school? I mean, yeah, I think I went, I went in 2006. So okay. I went in the summer of 2006 and I graduated in 2008. So, so like soft, between yeah, sophomore I think and junior year? Yeah, my sophomore year? and junior year. Yeah. Nice. And then my school, when I was student teaching, had just mm-hmm. opened up to let people go overseas for half of their time. And I signed up to do that. So I went back to China in 2008 and did some student teaching with the same company that I was with when we did the basketball camp. And mm-hmm. so I got a different experience student teaching over there. And then later, after I graduated, I went back and worked there. Awesome. Well, I mm-hmm. definitely want to hear more about that. But I want to hear about how you got from doing your student teaching and graduating from college to there. Like, So did you know after you did your student teaching that you wanted to return to China to be a teacher or how did that kind of work for you? Yeah, I almost knew in 2006 that I wanted to go back to China to teach or to live. And then I think student teaching just solidified. I I actually did my student teaching in December or November. I did at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And then it's kind of, if you're familiar with the Salvation Army, like people in the Salvation Army get moved around. Mm -hmm. Like one person moves. So then a lot of people have to move. And this company that I worked for is a little similar. Like they don't move people around. However, like you sign a contract for two years and then if someone leaves, they have to figure out how to fill that spot. And so Mm -hmm. they knew when I was there student teaching that there were going to be like four openings for a PE teacher. And so they already asked me if I would be interested. And then I just came home and started. I knew that I wanted to go there. So I wasn't sure. So they have like six cities that they're in in China. I wasn't sure where I would be. So I just signed up and went wherever they told me to. Very similar to the Salvation Army. Nice. Mm -hmm. So then was your family supportive for this decision or were they like, oh, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if this is the best choice. So what was your family's reaction to that decision? So my family, well, first, when I went to China the first time, they were all a little nervous because I used to be a super picky eater. Only ate like tacos and pizza and other things. <laughs> from the grill? <laughs> yeah, from, from the grill, like cheese sticks and french fries, like anything that wasn't really healthy. And I really hated Chinese food. Like I did not oh, wow. like Chinese food. Yeah. So the first time I went, they were all like, what are you going to do? I don't know. Like here I am kind of an ignorant American going to China, like whatever, they'll have American food. But that was not true. (laughs) I mean, they do have like McDonald's, those common things. But anyways, I found out that Chinese food was not like it is in America and I fell in love with it. So after my first time, they're all a little more accepting or Mm -hmm. able to understand why I would want to go back. And my parents, always have told us like whatever you want to do as long as you're glorifying God and you feel that God's calling you there we will support you and so that's been 
a real big blessing in my life. I do think they were a little nervous because as I've mentioned, they are with the Salvation Army as well. And they have connections all over because my whole family is with the Salvation Army. So my mom later told me, she's like, man, if you would have gone somewhere else, you know, like we would have been a little more like at ease with it because Mm -hmm. we could call someone who knows someone who could come and help you. But you had to choose the one place where there's no churches, (laughs) where there's no like, you know, there's no Salvation Army in mainland China. So she's like, you went to the one place where we can't re we can't help you. Like, and as parents do, you know, it's just like, they want to be the ones who protect you. They want to be the ones Mm -hmm. who are always there. So that was a little hard for them at the beginning, but they came and visited and they were just, they really felt God's presence and knew that while like God's protecting me and is with me. And there are people here, even though it's not people that they know or not affiliated with the Salvation Army, there are people here who are her family and who are able to be that person for us. So they're really supportive. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So did you leave then in July or August after you graduated? Yeah, I left in 2009 in July. So, nice. And then I moved back to America in 2014 in July. Nice. Yeah. So then that's five years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm doing my math. (laughs) (laughs) When people ask me, I usually say I lived in China for like six years because a combination of like all of my times there is about six years. So, but I was in Wuhan, which no one freak out. Don't worry. (laughs) I am safe. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I lived in Wuhan for five years and it is the place that I lived the longest for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So it really is my home. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is, what the climate and like what it is there so we can get a small picture? Sure. It's hot. It's it's one of the hot pots of China. So it's, there are like three places that say that it's really, really hot. So it's usually hot. With that like like said. 80 degrees or what's the temperature? When I would be teaching, whenever we started, I don't know, August or September, I'm so bad at remembering when school starts, but whenever that was, until about November, it would probably be in at least 80s, if not up into the hundreds, 110. Wow. Yeah. I was so tan, Audrey. It was like the best <laughs> thing. Oh my gosh. I like see pictures from when I was in, because I had to teach outside every day. I taught PE outside. We didn't have a gym. And I was so tan. Oh my goodness. I just like look back and I'm like, oh, I want to go back and just be tan. (laughs) And yeah, so, but okay, even though it's really hot, it does get cold. It's right on the line of the southern border or the southern line of what they call in China. So it still gets cold. It would snow maybe once a year, but it's nothing that like sticks. Okay, Um, gotcha. But they do not, so in like China, there's this line that separates north to south, basically. And if you're on the south part, you don't have central heating. So a lot of Chinese people don't even have house uh, heat in their house or whatnot. It's just the air conditioning units that are in the windows. You can turn them mm-hmm. into heaters. Some people have those. That's kind of what we had. We have these standalone heater air conditioning things. So it was really cold. Mm-hmm. And once like your bones get so cold you're just like no warming up. So 
For a good nine months, it's super hot. But then for three months, you're miserable and cold. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> so, and Wuhan is known for hot food, hot tempers, and hot weather. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's a good taste of Wuhan. I've never, I did not know that. Yeah, the three hots. Yeah, it's great. Hey listeners, today our sponsor is our future coming soon guest of the podcast, Taylor Ambo's new book, Reckless Grace, A Journey to Bold Forgiveness. What if our grace was reckless? What if we received and extended the kind of grace that didn't make sense? The kind of grace that was out of the ordinary? The kind of grace that changed the world? One that changed lives? Reckless Grace is a redemptive journey that will encourage and inspire you to step into the grace you were called to live in, leading you to life of perseverance, compassionate love, ridiculous grace, and boldness so that you live out your purpose. One of my favorite quotes from Taylor's book says, when we live boldly, we are able to accomplish the very things fear tells us we can't. Taylor's book and her story unpack this idea much more. This idea of the connection between boldness and forgiveness that can lead you to be able to achieve and conquer the very things that fear is telling you you cannot do. Reckless Grace is available for purchase now on Amazon in paperback and ebook. Grab your copy today and let's travel this journey together. Thank you so much, Taylor, for sponsoring the No Wrong Turns pod today. All right, back to Karen's story. I love hot food. I love spicy food. So it's perfect. So in the morning I would walk to school. It's like a mile away. You never would get in a car if it was less than two miles. You know, you always just walk everywhere. So also living in Asia or China, I should say, because I don't know about every Asian country, but if you live in China, it's definitely a good way to lose weight. (laughs) Hands down. It's great. I was probably in my best shape there. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, you are with child right now. So I think that's... (laughs) But it's so, but okay. Anyways, I would walk to school, get a cup of spicy noodles on my way and just eat them with chopsticks as I'm walking. My city is also known for like, Wuhan has a lot of street food and it's what it's known for. One of the things. So you're always eating. I eat probably 10 hours out of the day. It was great. (laughs) That's so funny. So can you tell us a little bit more about your, your teaching time there and just any kind of maybe like highlights that kind of went into shaping your story during your time there in China? Yeah. So I'm going to back up a little bit. My student teaching in China, I did a lot, like obviously a student taught, so I taught (laughs) classes and I thought that this was so cool is that in this country where you can't worship God publicly where you know like foreigners can't go to church with Chinese people all these different things there's a school that's a Christian school and so it was really awesome it was awesome and unfortunate because the school was only for foreign people so only foreigners came to the school that I taught at meaning no Chinese people were allowed to come because we were a Christian school but we were allowed to be there they knew that in order to get foreigners to come, so American, French people, Japanese, Korean, whatever, they wanted those people to lead businesses in China or to have their manufacturing companies there or whatnot. 
And the only way to do that would be to provide a great school for their kids to come to. So we were allowed to be there to be these great schools that got to teach people from around the world. And because of that, we would have people in our classes. One year we had like 22 nations represented at my school. Wow. So when you think about it, you're impacting people who are going to be influencers in other countries. Mm -hmm. And so that's really cool. And everyone who came to our school wasn't a Christian, but everyone who came understood that we are a Christian school, but we're also the best school for foreigners to go to. So it was like two worlds colliding and you got to, that was really awesome. And because of that, so my school, the company, they were there obviously to also make an impact on China. And Mm -hmm. so there's multiple ways that they did that. One is they had, they would give all of us who were over there teaching, we got private Chinese lessons for free. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was great. So you got to learn the language. Like, I don't know. I feel like I had them like four or five hours a week, just private lessons, which usually would be pretty expensive. And so um, we got those and then we got information about coffee shops, which is a place where you can go and tell your stories. And really telling your stories is a way in China to share the gospel because you can talk about yourself. You can talk about what you do in America, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get to tell the gospel because you can't just like stand out there or you can't invite people to church. So I learned all of that student teaching and then student teaching. I went and did this English corner with probably there's like over 200 people there, 200 Chinese people. And there's like six or seven of us foreigners. So when you say English. Oh, okay. Oh, I just heard you say English corner. Yeah. Is that what it's called? called in China? It's like they have a lot of English corners and it's like, I guess before they used to meet outside, maybe at a corner. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I was going to ask. Were you meeting outside at a corner? Yeah. Was the building on a corner? <laughs> so I don't actually know. I mean, I'm sure that started for some reason like that, but this was inside a school. But kids, not kids, usually university students who want to come and do better with English, they would, yeah, come to these English corners and it was like something free. They didn't have to pay for it. They got to talk to a we- a real Uyghurin, which in Chinese means white person, <laughs> or it means foreigner. Okay, but that's like what Chinese they really want to do that. They want to talk to foreigners whose Eng- whose first language is English. So I was at this English corner, and it was a Christmas party, and there were like yeah, like I said, like two hundred people, and they asked me to lead all these games and to lead it, which I'm like fine with because I like a lot of people and all this stuff. And it was there that my heart just like totally broke for a whole nation because I began to tell them the story of like Jesus because Christmas time is like the biggest time that you can tell people about God Mm because you can tell them why Americans celebrate Christmas because they think we're all Christians (laughs) and Christmas is a Christian holiday. So you can tell them about it. And as we were telling them, Like some of these people had never heard it before. Like they had never heard Jesus. They had never heard church. They had, even when it was translated for them, they still had never heard it. Right. And it was like, oh my gosh, like you've literally never heard of Jesus, God, Christmas, church, anything. 
And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people in America are like, oh, well, there are so many people here. But if you were to tally how many people had heard the word church, I'm sure many more people here would say yes <laughs> than mm-hmm. there, you know, like, and maybe if you say, like, what does Christmas mean here? Some people would say, oh, like, those Christians celebrate this or that, you know, like, they yeah. have a little clue. But in China, it, that was my moment in 2009, 2008, when I was just like, oh, my gosh, there are people in the world who don't know Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably my biggest moment. And then when I moved back in 2009, every year at my house, I would have a Christmas party. And my house wasn't that big. I mean, it was just an apartment. And we would stuff anywhere from 50 to 80 people wow. in the apartment. <laughs> and they would all come. And let me tell you, okay, little side note. Chinese, Asian, probably every culture but Americans, whenever they come to your house, they bring a gift. Very common. And I thank God that I did not open any of those gifts in front of people. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, what are normal gifts for us are not normal gifts in China. And what are normal gifts for them are really funny for us. So... But it's serious, you know? One person gave me this, like, bobblehead. I still have it. Okay, I'll send you a picture. You can post it (laughs) or whatever you want to do. But it is the creepiest thing ever, and they were so serious about it. And if I would have opened that in front of them, I would have laughed so hard. (laughs) Aww. So I'm glad that I didn't open it in front of them. (laughs) Nice. But those were my biggest moments in China where I was just like, wow, this is awesome. This is why God has me here. Mm -hmm. And also teaching there for so long, like I said, we have 22 nations at our school and how cool it was just to get to impact them. That's awesome. So what happened? You you were there for five years and then what was the the reason that you came back to America? (laughs) Or... Oh, man. <laughs> well, okay, there are two reasons, you know. I'll share one. <laughs> <laughs> one, okay, actually, one's kind of sad. I mean, even though I'll probably laugh. But my aunt on my mom's side passed away. And obviously, I wasn't going to be able to come home for the funeral. I was still in China. Mm-hmm. But then my uncle, Tim, and her his wife, I never really saw them growing up. They were in the Air Force, and they always moved, and they lived overseas. And I was thinking about it when she passed away. Like, I have no memory with her at all. I don't re- I don't have one memory of being with her. And so I was like, oh, that's really sad. Like, I felt like I should be really sad that my aunt just passed away. But I... I don't even know if I could pick her out from the lineup. (laughs) That's how sad it was. And then one of my nieces and nephews, my sister sent me a picture and they were looking out their back window and they have an airport behind their house and the cornfields had just been plowed. And they said, look, mom, I can see Aunt Karen all the way in China. And just that mix. And then also one of my other nephews just saying like, oh, you're my aunt I only see on TV. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness, I don't want to be I don't want to be that aunt who passes away and her nieces and nephews have never seen her mm-hmm. or anything like that. So I really with all those things and just praying a lot about it, I just really felt like, all right, this is my time to come home. And so mm-hmm. it was the hardest decision I've made. And when I came home, I also was like, I should just go back to China. It's so easy. Life there, even though when you talk about it, it doesn't sound easy, it was. 
that was life. That was my whole adult life that I had known. It was easy to live in a country where you couldn't say everything that you wanted to, (laughs) you know, so I loved it. Awesome. So you came back to America and what was your plan? Where were you going? Did you know what you were going to do for work or yeah, walk us through that. So I also moved back and I was dating a person who lived on the West Coast. And so I thought it was going to be really cool that my parents would have someone in every territory of the Salvation Army. Uh I was going to move to Idaho. (laughs) And we had it all set up. My family was really happy. I thought both of us were really happy. I, like, went and visited him when I came home from that summer. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, this isn't going to work. Wow. like, okay and I'm like take me back China come back (laughs) but I knew that God had called me back and so really I didn't know what I was gonna do all of a sudden I was like all right I don't know what job I want I don't know where I'm gonna live and Mm -hmm. my parents live in Quincy and it is a great place but it's very small my apartment complex had so many people in China I don't know. We guesstimate at one time between 24 and 34,000 people just in my apartment complex. And my parents' city has 40,000 people in it. So I was like, I I can't go that extreme moving back there. So then it's like, okay, I want to live somewhere where there's a lot of culture and all these things. So I decided Chicago would be that place. And Mm -hmm. so I got a job at the Chicago Croc Center and... Then I found an apartment in Hyde Park, which is where I met you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that's where I ended up being for like a year, I think. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So you moved to Hyde Park, and Mm -hmm. what were you, and you worked at the Croc Center, and you said that was for about a year. And then Mm -hmm. what was your next step after that? Or can you walk us through any highlights that happened throughout that year for you? Yeah. Well, one highlight was that I met this really cool girl who lived in my neighborhood (laughs) through mutual friends. And we met at this diner that was so good. And they had this ridiculous burger that when we were younger, we could probably eat five of them and nothing would happen to us. Now just looking at it is rough. But... (laughs) We met at Clark's, and I got this new bestie named Audrey, and yeah, it was great. So that was one really big highlight, and then we have all these mice adventures, like, where all of our parties had so many mice. Oh my gosh, it was so bad. Okay, then on a serious note, (laughs) I wasn't able to, Hyde Park is kind of expensive, Mm -hmm. and after being a missionary, like, uh, they paid us, so it was like a stipend, so it's, it wasn't a lot of money. It wasn't something you could just live on when you came home. Mm-hmm. So I was, I found myself babysitting, nannying, moving boxes, cleaning houses, and working at the croc. The croc wasn't super high in pay, mm-hmm. even though I really liked what I was doing. And then I also found myself substituting at this school that was close to my house in Hyde Park called University of Chicago Lab Schools. And I was just really confused of what God wanted me to do. Anyhow, I was just, for a few years, I was just like, what do you want me to do, God? Do you really want me working at the Croc Center for the rest of my life? And then I thought, oh, maybe I should be a teacher again. That's what I did for so long. So 
after subbing at the university school, they offered me a job and I applied for it. I didn't really think I would get it. Yeah. And then I got it and I was like, okay, this is what God wants for me. And this is amazing. And it pays three times as much as the Croc Center. I could eat more meat then. (laughs) (laughs) And I'd have to be like as stingy. And I could get a parking spot, which was awesome. Because if you've lived in the city of Chicago, especially like Hyde Park or those sorts of areas, you know the struggle is very real with parking. Mm-hmm. So, but also parking spots. My parking spot cost $150 a month. So I couldn't do that until I had a better job. Anyhow, I was, that was really exciting when I lived there. <laughs> so then I taught at the school and I, it was a really nice job and I really mm-hmm. loved it. I loved teaching, but God was just like, Karen, he was pulling me to full-time ministry, but I wasn't sure where I wanted to go. Do I want to go back with a missions organization and go overseas? Do I want to stay with my church, which is the Salvation Army? What do I want to do? So I think he put me at that school. I I taught there for two years mm-hmm. as a time to regain energy because this might sound bad. I know it's a very good school, but it wasn't very hard to do because I maybe because I had all the lesson plans from before, but I really got to rest a lot and I got to mm-hmm. do a lot of prayer time I got to go on so many runs by the lake I got to do yeah (laughs) I know we used to run all these races Audrey I was looking at that the other day oh gosh so and God was just using that as man Karen you need a break after being in China and then at the Croc Center because in China I taught 33 classes a week plus I was a youth pastor for our our foreign fellowship I was really busy in China and I didn't Mm -hmm. know how wore down it was so he gave me that break, and then he just continued to open doors and show me like, full-time ministry is definitely where I wanted to be. So then I started praying more specifically about that and where that might lead me, and the doors to be a salvationary officer just kept coming to my forefront, and eventually I was like, yeah, I think that's what I want to do. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So you decided to become a pastor in the Salvation Army, mm-hmm. and so you had to move again mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. from Which, the south side to the north side, right? Yeah, but I've always been a Cubs fan. Just want to throw that <laughs> one out there. <laughs> awesome. So you, you moved like literally right down the, the street from mm-hmm. Wrigley. And can you tell us a little bit about that transition and any highlights or anything that kind of shaped your story and influenced or affected your passion? Yeah. I say yeah a lot when you ask questions. (laughs) So feel free to edit it or leave it in. Whatever. (laughs) So actually, I moved to the north side before I went to training school. I moved there because my apartment complex in Hyde Park, do you remember there was that shooting that happened? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, like, someone got <laughs> shot, basically, in my apartment. So, I decided to move. Not that the Hyde Park is dangerous. I would totally live there again. But I moved to a more safe, well, maybe more safe. Who knows? You know, I felt like it was more safe for that moment. Anyways, and then I moved to school. And when I did move, I also went to this conference that the Salvation Army has. It's called the One Conference. It's an international conference. And, obviously, I love international things and people and that's where I met my boo aka Anil 
my he became my husband so that's cute (laughs) (laughs) and he's the father of my one son and my baby to come so anyways yeah I met him there so that's pretty pivotal and he was finishing the Salvation Army Seminary and I was starting so he had to make the decision if he was going to marry me before I went or if he was going to do it a few years later but he decided to do it right then and then he (laughs) stayed at the school he had an appointment when out in Chicago and then I was in school so I mean again I got to be around people because basically I went back to living on a campus of people so that was one of my passions was just being with people and talking so that was great for me for two years (laughs) I had people all around me that was wonderful. I had friends just down the hallway. Mm-hmm. It was great. Also, I feel like I still got to rest a lot. Yeah. So I got to do studies, but it didn't take me that long. So I got a lot of rest, which I think God was still giving me just that time to rejuvenate for whatever he has for us. So those are probably the biggest things that happened at school. And I just got to have more friends mm-hmm. and relationships that I still have. And then of course, you know, whenever you run into people, it's great. Awesome. So then after the two years is up, mm-hmm. you and Anil were going to be moved somewhere. Cause you guys just don't go to school and stay there. You right. get moved. Mm-hmm. So, but it was a big mystery. <laughs> and can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So also my, in between my first and second year, we got pregnant, which is great. If you know me, you know, the hashtag is Raj baby. If you don't know me, go look up the hashtag. You'll see lots of pictures of the super cute Indian American fusion baby. But so graduation, Raj was supposed to come a week before graduation. And I was still going to make it so that I could go and find out where we're moving to. Yeah. But Raj decided to come later. So I missed graduation. (laughs) However, they put me up on Skype on (laughs) the graduation. So I had on like my Salvation Ring uniform, but then I had on super comfy shorts. (laughs) And (laughs) they told us where we're moving. And we are here now in Farmington Hills, Michigan. And we love it. And we moved here when Raj was only three weeks old. So yeah, that was a I don't know. You know, like I've always seemed to have lots of energy or think I can do everything, Mm -hmm. but that was a little harder than I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Moving or being a mom or both? Both of them. Moving wasn't hard, but moving while being a mom, while recovering, while having this new life that you're responsible to take care of and Mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out how to do that. And you're like, oh my gosh, don't hurt the baby. (laughs) So, but I mean, it all worked out, honestly. He's perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, he is a little cutie. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love him. Um. So, can you tell us a little bit about your life in Michigan? Yeah. So I am still doing the things that I love, all the things that I'm passionate about. I'm really passionate first about telling people about Jesus, and I think that something that I've learned over the years, I learned back in high school, you know, that sometimes we do that through sports. Sometimes we mm-hmm. do that through sign language. Sometimes we do that through just being someone's friend, you know? And then when I moved to China, I learned that sometimes it just means being present. And unfortunately, like even in China, after being there so long, I could never tell the whole story in Chinese. I feel like I could speak Chinese 
fairly well. Mm-hmm. But Christian words were never something that I was around. So I couldn't speak those words that well. So God really showed me in China. He broke me down one day. I just cried. I was like, why am I here if I can't even speak Chinese or if I can't even tell someone the gospel story in Chinese? And God told me at that moment, you don't have to talk. I just asked you to come to China and to Mm -hmm. be there so that people would see me and you. And so now I think the same thing. I think I mean, obviously I'm a pastor, so I do talk a lot (laughs) and I do like open the Bible and I do all these sorts of things, but I also think that he wants us just to be present where we are. Mm -hmm. And so I get to do that. The area that we're in is super international. At our core, we have a really big Filipino population. We have some Indian people coming, not just because of Anil, but that's just (laughs) the area that we're in has a lot of Indian people. We have, we don't have any Chinese people that are coming now, but there's this huge Chinese church just down the road. So I've actually been able to go and speak Chinese and try to keep my Chinese up. So that's really exciting to me. Yeah, it's so great. I mean, at our church, we have African-American people, we have white people. It is a beautiful picture of what our neighborhood looks like. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't be more happy to be stationed where I am now. If the weather was a little warmer, I'd be a little happier. (laughs) I mean, overall, I'm just so happy because I think I know God knew exactly what he was doing and putting us here. We have kids. We have some young adults. We're working on that. And we have old people. (laughs) Very fun. Yeah. So just for a second, I want to pivot really quick and ask you, so you kind of highlighted a couple of passions. Mm-hmm. I would definitely say China was is definitely one of your passions Yeah. in telling people about Jesus, mm-hmm. whether speaking words or mm-hmm. not speaking words to everything in between, sign language. So can you tell us a little bit with those passions, maybe some myths that before these were your passions that, that you, that you believed that you kind Mm -hmm. of debunked for yourself, maybe before you, I know you kind of mentioned maybe like a few of them, but before you went to China or before you had your passion about telling people about Jesus, what were some myths that you had that you were able to debunk for yourself? Mm -hmm. So there are so many myths about China, but I'll just mention a couple. Yeah. One Everyone would tell me, oh, Karen, you're going to be really tall when you go to China. You're going to be tall because all Chinese people are short, you know? Yeah. That's a huge myth because Chinese people aren't really that short. Now, there are some, obviously, there are some, a lot of Chinese people who are short, but also you do realize the country has, what, three billion people or whatnot. So the city (laughs) I was in, I was just average. I wasn't tall. I wasn't short. I was just average. Like, oh, it's so frustrating. So... That's a myth. I mean, there are certain provinces that are known to be shorter, but there are other provinces that are known to be really tall. Mm-hmm. Up north, there's a couple of provinces where people are giants. Where I was, I was just a normal American height, you know? I just fit in <laughs> right in the middle on my 5'3", five, 5'4", five, self, you know? So. <laughs> nice. And the people I worked with were so tall. Okay, so that's one myth about China. Mm-hmm. Also... People often say all Chinese people look alike. Mm -hmm. Also not true. Everyone looks very different. Yeah. And not just because I've been there for a long time, but people look different. So that's not very true. There are some myths that I feel like maybe are true. Everyone uses chopsticks. That's a true thing. 
like that. Yeah. I don't know if that's a myth, but. So it's not really a myth. It's just true. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a fact. I mean, most, almost every single Chinese person has black hair. That is true. Unless they've dyed it. So there are some things that are true or whatnot. It in the Christian world, it is true that you're not allowed to have church. And it is true that foreigners can't really worship with Chinese people. Mm-hmm. And I would say like, every city is monitored very differently. So where I was, I consider it a capital for like, Chinese Christians. There are so many Christian people there. But where one of my friends taught, they couldn't even have seven to 14 Amer- or foreigners in a place worshiping together because the rules were much more strict. Wow. So it kind of depends on where you are, mm-hmm. wherever that falls or whatnot. Wow. So it's, yeah, I could talk a long time about that, but I've already talked for a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> and a myth about telling people about Jesus. I mean, I never really thought this, but I know a lot of people have thought this is that, oh, you have to stand on the corner with your Bible and scream or tell people just that Mm -hmm. way. And I think I mentioned that, that that's not how I, I don't feel like God has called us to all do that. If he calls Mm -hmm. you to do that, you should do that. But I think that he often just wants us to live in community with people and do that in a way that shows his love. Awesome. So I have a few other questions. So if somebody is listening to this podcast and they were kind of resonating with your story or maybe their interest is just kind of peaked about maybe wanting to kind of look into something, some of your passions further, like teaching in China or becoming a pastor, what would, what guidance would you give somebody who is hearing about your passions and is interested in taking the next step and learning more about it. Yeah. So for teaching in China or, I mean, overseas, I would, I think, I mean, I know specifically for China, there are multiple ways you can do it. You can go and teach like I did at a Christian school where you will teach in your language. Well, you'll teach in English using American culture or American curriculum And you'll be surrounded by teachers who probably look like you or are from some European country. But anyways, you'll, you can do that. And that's a great way to get in. Usually to teach there, you have to have an education degree because they are like a certified school. So Mm -hmm. that could be a little bit harder. I also have so many friends who have gone overseas and taught English, who have gone specifically to China. They've taught English at a university. And for those things, you don't need a education degree. Mm-hmm. You, It's like helpful if you have a degree, but they even take people who don't have degrees as long as maybe you've had some experience. And I would just say really research any place that you're going to work for. If it's not a Christian company, because there are so many places in China where they try to get people over, it might not be legit. So just make sure you've researched. I mean... You can always ask me, but I only know a couple of places where you can teach English at universities. But mm-hmm. if you're interested in teaching at the school that I taught at, which is super great, they basically help you get your visas, everything. They do everything for you. Make sure you're legal in China, all that stuff. The company is called Leadership Development International, and they have it's called they have different facets that they do. They do job training for Chinese people, but then they also have international schools of China, which is now called International Schools of China and Beyond, because they're also in the EU. 
So they've expanded. But anyways, that's like a very safe company to work with. It is Christian, so you do have to be a Christian to teach there. But I can send Audrey information, websites and stuff. But yeah, you can post that in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. And if you want to be a pastor, I think that's awesome. (laughs) If you want to do it at the Salvation Army, obviously you have to go to the Salvation Army Seminary, which is called the College for Officers Training. So there's a process for that, but you can just get in touch with your Salvation Army people. Or if you just want to be a pastor or otherwise, there are lots of seminaries you can go to and do it that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your story and your passions. Yeah. Uh Thank you so much for joining us each week to listen to our awesome guests as they come and they chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have evolved and grown throughout their story. I am so humbled and so honored that you would choose to download and listen to these conversations every other week through inviting me into your earbuds, your headphones, your car, your Google Home, your Alexas, wherever you listen to this podcast. Thank you so much, friend. I am just so grateful for you. Can you please do me a favor? If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, would you, in whichever podcast player or app that you're listening to us today, do that for us? If you are already subscribed, thank you so much. Thank you so much, friend. I truly appreciate it. It makes a huge difference. I would love it if you would share this podcast with a friend. I find out about so many podcasts through recommendations from friends. Maybe some of you have found out about this podcast through a friend sharing the podcast with you. Lastly, would you please consider leaving a rating and review over on whichever podcast player or app that you are listening to this on? Thank you so much. I know that these things may seem small, subscribing, sharing the show, leaving a rating and review, but they make a huge difference in new listeners being able to find the No Wrong Turns pod. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here and for listening and for cheering on the No Wrong Turns pod. Thanks again for subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the show. But before we go, I have one more question that, that really? you know I, I ask all my podcast guests. Yeah. And that is, what is fueling you today? What is fueling your passion? So, you know, anything from a TV show to a new quarantine time filler, what is fueling you today? Okay, so I love coffee. I didn't even talk about that the whole time I was on here. And coffee I was, was like, I was pretty surprised. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm not going to try to back, backtrack, but one of my biggest mission fields in China was the Starbucks. I know it sounds so dumb, but guys, I went to coffee shops, coffee classes, Starbucks people. I probably have like 15 of them. They're like my family. I still talk to them, and I got to share Jesus with them. Okay, anyway, sorry. So Starbucks. I love Starbucks, and I love little coffee shops. So I recently realized from Starbucks that I could just get an iced latte. And it is amazing. And like, I just want to go and get one every day. I don't care if I have to wait in line 45 minutes, which is what I did today. So I was late to talk to Audrey. <laughs> but when I go to little coffee shops, I always get an iced latte to judge how good their coffee is. But I had never gotten one from Starbucks. Guys, it's amazing. <laughs> Game changer. Okay. Oh, my gosh. I just love it so much. So that's really been fueling me. And right now, <laughs> as Audrey alluded to before, I also am having a second baby. And 
feel like that baby really likes these <laughs> ice lattes. And that's it. No flavor, just ice latte. It is the best thing ever. So awesome. that's my new drink. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Thank you so much, Karen, for sharing your passion and sharing your story. It was great to hear from you today. Yeah, it's great. I was so glad to have someone to talk to. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Karen. Friends, I have loved our conversation with Karen. One of my favorite things to see through Karen's story is how a few of her passions of communication and sports came together to be used with her favorite passion of telling people about Jesus. How Karen was able to use her passion of telling people about Jesus through sports, sign language, and just being present. I loved when she talked about the idea of God wanting us to be present right where he has us, right where we are. The idea of showing up in the spaces that you are, at your job, at your gym, at your coffee shop, and actually being present in those spaces. I'm usually a very task-oriented person, so this can often equate to me showing up to things and tasks because they are like a punchline on my calendar or my to-do list. This idea that Karen presented and talked about, about being present where God has you, really resonates with me. Where do you need to be present today? At your job? On your next Zoom call? At your next coffee shop? Uh, To-go order? I hope that we are all encouraged today through Karen's story and her passions. My prayer is that you will consider what God has for you and what he might be leading you to. Our episode was edited by Sophia Bote, social media managed by Olivia Bote, and you can see our show notes for our music credits. All right, guys, enjoy your week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and I will see you back here next time for our conversation with my friend, Sarah Mikula. Hey friends, you have just listened to the 26th episode of the No Wrong Turns podcast with Audrey Lee Hickman Hunter. I'm Audrey and I'm your host. And I am so, so happy that you are here. If you liked what you were listening to today, make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're bringing you new shows every other Tuesday and we always have on some amazing guests to come and chat about their story and their passions and how their passions have grown and evolved throughout their story. Subscribe today to the No Wrong Turns pod with Audrey Hickman Hunter on your podcast player so you guys will never miss an episode.